So I'm going to start with a story, and the uh, topic surrounding this is going to be a little room sensitive because this week, next week, these are the few weeks where people go back to college or go to college for the first time. Um, so if you're a parent and that's you, uh, I'm sharing a story about when I was in college because I don't even want to think about the emotions that are going to hit me in five years if I end up taking one of my kids to school and doing that whole thing. Uh, so I acknowledge that, but bear with me. Uh, so yeah, this story starts with my first few days of college. My parents had just dropped me off. Um, I went to a huge town. They had a total of one stoplight um, yeah, that was sarcasm, okay, because it was the smallest place in the entire world in the middle of nowhere in North Carolina. And I can remember about the first week after the first few days, um, I had a roommate, and after like 48 hours of, of being around this roommate for nonstop, we were about to kill each other, so I was done with that. Um, yeah, and so... I went to do what I used to do back home, which was like, okay, I'm going to go do something that's comfortable, relaxing. And so I went to the gym and started playing basketball. Um, we were in the middle of a game, and we're sitting there, and somebody walks into the room, and they didn't, they didn't look like a basketball player. A guy walks in. He has on some double H cowboy boots, all right, with mud all over him. Obviously, some like Wrangler-style jeans, a big old cowboy hat, and he walks in the room, and he's like, Hattie. Well... As we were sitting there playing basketball, one of the things I used to like to do is talk just a little bit. Um, got punched in the face numerous times for doing that and learned my lesson. But anyway, different story. I look at him, and I'm like, well, hello, honky-tonk. Bull riding's out back. Um, and he walks in, and he just smiles and nods at me, and, and he walks through the gym, and he walks in the locker room. Well, he comes out a few minutes later, completely different attire. So he's got his basketball gear on now. And I'm looking at him like, oh, oh, he's going to play. And I'm like, oh, this is going to be entertaining. And so we choose up teams, and, and he gets chosen last, right, because everybody in that room is being really judgmental about the guy in the cowboy hat. And so anyway, he, he ends up on my team, and I'm sitting there, and I'm like kind of watching him as we're shooting around. I'm like, well, he can at least throw and catch, okay? Like he's coordinated. I can pass him the ball. He can give it back to me. And then me being myself, we'll score all the points for our team. Um, I was really modest back then. Well, anyway, so I get up there, and we check up, and I pass him the ball, and I kind of just like step out of the way and say, all right, let's see what's getting ready to happen. And he makes a real quick move, goes baseline, and a guy from the other team, I can tell, like, his eyes light up. Like, he is going to block this guy so hard off the backboard that it's, it's, it's like his, his, his grandchildren are going to feel it. So he goes, he lines up, both of them jump, and the guy that was in the cowboy hat just rears back and just yams all over this guy, just dunks the mess out of the ball. I remember sitting there for a moment, and I'm like, like, everybody freezes. It's like, what just happened? Anyway, so the rest of that day, we end up playing, having a great time, and me end up talking. And this guy ends up being one of my best friends for the four, four and a half, five, seven years I was in college. <clears throat> all right? And so he ends up being one of my best friends. And all throughout college, like, we were borderline, like, every day we're going to the basketball court together. Uh, we, he would be the guy that you'd call, and it's like, hey, one in the morning, and do you want to go to Waffle House? Yes, you do, because you're in college, and, that, and that's what you're doing. So we'd go to Waffle House. We'd hang out. Uh, we'd go on, like, other adventures. He just ended up being one of my absolute closest friends. Well, then something happens. Graduation, all right? So graduation day happens, and I remember me and him, like, we posed for a picture, and we're like, hey, what's up, you know, doing that, like, we're cool or whatever thing, and, and our parents get the picture, and we're like, that's nice, whatever. And then a few weeks later, I got, I got married, and I remember he was at our wedding. That was almost the last time I saw him in person. Because here's what happened, and y'all know the story. 
a few years later, we bumped into each other again. Like he happened to be coming through town because we basically moved both back to our hometowns. And we bumped into each other and we were like, hey, and we were talking. And we had about a 15-minute conversation. And I realized really quickly, like, man, I don't know this guy anymore. Our lives have gone two completely different routes. And then about 10 years after we graduated, I can remember this one time. I'm, I, I upgraded cell phones, so I'm switching everything over. And it's one of those, like, I've got to make the decision because my, my phone is, like, making weird noises and smoking and burning oil. So I've got to make a decision. Am I going to transfer all that over or do I, do I need to start over? And I remember going through my favorites list. And 10 years after I graduated college, this guy's name is still, like, number three on my favorites list. And I can remember I'm sitting there and I'm like, and, and the moment hit me. And in that moment, I'm sitting there and I'm like, we're not friends anymore. And I can remember, I can think back to like, there was even a time like after I ran into him that day, I remember he called me a couple years later and I didn't know if it was a pocket dial or whatever. He didn't leave a message. But I remember picking up the phone and I saw his name and it was one of those like, I'm busy sitting on the couch. I don't feel like having that conversation, right? And I can remember 10 years later, I'm looking at that favorites list and I'm going like, well, I guess he's not on there anymore. And so I just swiped, knocked his name off of there. And in that moment, I'm sitting there, I'm going, I'm like, it kind of feels weird to say, because you remember, you've, you've had a best friend, right? There's a person you referred to as your best friend, but you're not now. And it feels really, really weird. And it took about 10 years for me to really acknowledge, like, I'm looking at this guy's name, and the reality is this, we're not friends anymore. Like, like I, don't, I don't know this guy. I don't, I don't have a relationship with him at all. And plain and simply, like, it's just our lives had grown apart, and it was all that fun little, like, friendly relational language, and it was done. Haven't seen him, spoke to him. Checked out his, his social media feed. Nothing. I don't, I don't know anything that's going on in his life. Now, here's what's funny, okay? Pause real quick on that story. We're, we're, we're done with that. But, but here's what you understand. Everybody in this room, all right, to a certain degree, like if you're old enough, you have that story, right? There was somebody you grew up with. There was somebody during this season's life y'all were super, super close with, and now you're just not, and that's okay. It happens. It's actually kind of a good thing when you have those seasonal friends that get you through different situations in your life. But the reality is, is, is you're just not. But here's what gets really funny. We know that when it comes to an earthly relationship aspect. When it comes to our relationship with God, we change the language, right? Stay with me on this. Because instead of just like, oh, that was a friend back in the day or whatever else, when it comes to our relationship with God, we have to give it these, these, these nice little phrases. We have to give it things. We have to say like, well, somebody has fallen away from their faith. Or maybe it was, well, I believed in that when I was a kid. Or I was raised that way. Or some newer languages, like maybe you like deconstructed, right? Or it's a, one of those things where I hear, hear this phrase all the time, that we're in the post-Christian era. Like we have all these neat phrases, and this morning the word that, that, that we fall on when we talk about the fruit of the Spirit is faithfulness. And here's the point I really want to get across as we dive in this. You've got to understand this right off the bat. Faithfulness is a relational word. And so we can take all the cute little phrases that we want when it comes to our walk with God that we've relationally let far away, but you've got to understand this. It's because you stopped investing in the relationship. If you've fallen away from your faith, deconstructed, whatever it is, you basically have gone like, nope, I don't want that relationship with God. And it gets really funny with the language there, right? Because here's, here's, here's the reality. I know there are people sitting in this room that you come to church every week or every other week with your family, or maybe you were just invited today, and, and you're not invested in this, right? This is not your 
faith. Like you don't, you don't. When I say a relationship with God, you're like, whoop, that's weird. Okay, right over, right. And that's okay. We love that you're here. We love that you're, you, you've decided to worship with us this morning. But there's also a lot of us that that we've been here in this pattern for so long. Our relationship with God, our faith, has grown stale. And really, when we talk about our relationship with God, if we're going to tell the story, it's about like I started with my friend back in college. It's I used to dot, 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 dot. And the only thing that you're doing now is holding on is you just you show up for service a few times a month, right? But see, that's not faithfulness because faithfulness is, is very, very different. And some of it, like, faithfulness has this, kind of attachment of feeling a lot of times. Like we feel like we need to feel the presence of God or we need to be emotionally moved. And that can be things that are disruptive if we're chasing emotion or emotionalism. That's a slippery slope too because then all of a sudden you're not chasing the relationship with God, you're chasing the emotional experience. And that leads down a whole another rabbit trail of, 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 of faith where all of a sudden you're not pursuing God, you're pursuing what God provides. And so you're wanting all those those emotional experiences. On the other side, you can get really, really wrapped up and stop having faith in God, relationship with God, and you can develop that faithfulness and that relationship with him in the methods God uses. And so all of a sudden, your faith starts to become associated with a certain style of music, a certain pastor, a personality, a certain pattern that you live within your life. And it might have been that God reached you and really led you through a season to where that grew y'all's relationship, but now you're just bit in that it has to be this study and it has to be this way and it has to be this method. And so you you really have gained, you're pursuing the faithfulness and safety, security, and regularness, right? And so it gets really, really slippery really quick. And then... There's a lot of times I think what gets disrupted is we'll read through passages in Scripture like we're going to here in a minute, and we read them surface level and don't look at the fine details. We immediately think we're missing something because these people that we read about in Scripture seem to have these dramatically big moments with God where God shows up and God spoke to them or the water of God came to them or he spoke to them in a vision and they have all these moments. And it creates this expectation in us that a real, genuine, faithful relationship with God is this series of miraculous experiences that emotionally move us and put us in a state of fear and awe and all this stuff. And that's just not quite the case, right? So let's look at the story real quick. We're going to flip over to Genesis chapter 12. And now I'm going to go ahead and give you a heads up. I'm going to give you the entire story of the life of Abraham in about five to ten minutes. It is not an accurate full, like, like, like it's not an adequate full description because I'm just going to point out a few details, a few major moments. I'm going to fly through this really quick, okay? It's about ten chapters. I would encourage you to go home this afternoon, this week, just read a chapter a day, really dig in, understand this guy's life. But just to review, as we come up on the story of Abraham... Just a few reminders. He doesn't have the things that we have in our time to relate to God in the ways that we do. He doesn't have the written word of God. There's no assembly of believers around him, okay? Abraham might not have been able to read at this time in history, okay? So, So God comes to him and interacts with him in some ways that are necessary for how he needs to reach out to Abraham in that time. Okay, another detail we need to know ahead of time with Abraham is Abraham and his wife are unable to have kids. 
which is a major, major problem, okay? It's painful in any time and generation when that happens, but especially in this, when you don't have an heir, that's what's seen as like your meaning in life, is you have a son and he takes over all your stuff and, and, and that, 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 that's, that's life, that's what it's about. And so Abraham's lived his entire life knowing that when he passes, his family line is done. Also, if you know the name Abraham or you like you know the cute little song, Father Abraham, da, 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 all that stuff, okay, right? Slightly biblically incorrect lyrics, different story. All right, um, but that's, that's the guy we're talking about here. And so we pick up in Genesis 12, verse 1, it says this. It said, Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. So this is the beginning of the story. We pick up in Scripture. This is the first time he shows up. This is where his name's mentioned like in a family tree right before this. But this is where the story digs in with Abraham. Okay, right now he's Abram. Later he'll be called Abraham. So when you see those two names up there on the screen, okay, same person we're talking about, all right? But right at the beginning of this, we get this call. God comes to him, and he has, he has a calling on his life. And his calling on his entire life is basically this. I want you to go to this place, and I want you to have a kid. That's it. Not complicated, right? Except for the fact that Abraham, to this point, that hasn't happened. Like, it, it, the, it, it just is not going to work. He, on a human level, he doesn't understand there. I want to point out a couple other details that Scripture tells us. When Abraham is told this, he is 75. He is old. Unless you're 75 in the room, in which case he is young, Okay. But Abraham is 75. Like, it, which one of us at 75, if God comes to us and says, leave your country and your family? What? Like, absolutely not. That, 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 that's crazy. And so God gives him this mission. And the other thing is, is like at this point, there's not a lot of details. He doesn't tell him where he's going. He doesn't tell him how he's going to make him a great nation. He just tells him, hey, go that way. I'll show you. Just start walking. So this is one of those moments that when we talk about faithfulness, that it is a leap of faith. It's one of those moments where it's a drastic, I've got to change everything in my life, but I'm going to trust God because he's going with me. Moments. And we encounter this when Abraham is 75 years old. He does this. He begins this journey. And then you flip over, and a few verses later, in verse 7, we learn that he gets to the edge of this country, and God basically says to him, once again, go back and read this. We're not going to, we'll for time, we're not going to read this. We're going to read this in one other verse. But God basically says, yep, this is the place. Now, I want to point out something, because this is something we're going to point out throughout this story. When you read this in Scripture, it feels like, God showed up. God told him it was the place. Then God did this. Like, like it's so sequential in order. These are the extreme moments in Abraham's life. It's taken months to years for him to get all his stuff together, say bye to his family, figure out who's going with him, travel this distance very slowly with everything that he owns. Okay, U-Haul was unavailable. He's got he's to haul all this stuff, give it on the animals, stop, cat up camp, do it again, move, go to the next place. This is at least a month, if not years later, when he gets to the edge of this place that he's supposed to go, and then God goes, this is the place. So he learns where at this point. 
But then when he gets there, you keep reading and you learn he doesn't get to stay there because there's a famine in the land. And so he has to go down to Egypt where there's food. And so he spends a few years down in Egypt before he finally gets to be back. And even while he's in Egypt, Abraham does something kind of weird and sketchy where he lies about that his wife is actually his sister because he's afraid he's going to kill him. And then it's just really kind of a messed up story. Abraham's not the most stand-up guy in the situation because he's being deceptive to try and save his own life. But then that incident happens, and years later he moves back to the land. And when he gets back to this land, to this area where God's told him to go, him and Lot, they begin to grow. They have more animals, and their, their, their families get bigger, and their servants' families get bigger, and it ends up that like the shepherds are arguing. So then he has a divide. And I just want to point out, at this point, a lot of people think that the reason Lot was bought with him on the trip is because Lot was already the person that was going to be his heir. It's his brother's son. And so he thinks that he's going to be a great nation, that it's not going to be his own child, which he really greatly desires, Abraham, that it's going to be Lot. But now he's back on the land, and him and Lot are having to separate. And so they have to divide. And when they divide, God reaches back out to Abraham, and he says to him, hey, I just want to reaffirm, all of this land, north, south, east, west, when he talks to him in, in, in chapter 13, this is going to be yours. I'm telling you, it's going to be yours. So same message as before. He's just reaffirming it. And at this point, I just want to, want, to, want to point out, because once again, we read this passage and we think like it's almost like weekly that, that, that Abraham's hearing this miraculous, this big moment where God steps in. At this point, Abraham is 84 to 85 years old. It's been 10 years since the first interaction. 10 years. And he's been all over the map. And you keep reading and... And you, and you keep going, and then a war and a, this thing breaks out to where he has to go and rescue Lot. And once again, I'm flying through this. And then once again, he is given a really, really big sign, and God affirms with him when you get further to chapter 15 that, hey, the son that you are going to have is going to be your biological son. And then right after that, Abraham, through his wife, kind of agrees to like this sketchy way of doing it, and then that whole family dynamic gets really, really nasty really, really quick. Once again, not going to go into details, but it gets abusive, it gets ugly, it gets nasty. Him and his wife have tension, him and his wife's servant, and he ends up having a son with the wife's, wife's helper, and it just gets super nasty, and then they get kicked out of the family, basically, and it's just super tough. And then you get to chapter 17. And God reaches back out and he says to Abraham, hey, you're going to have a son. You're going to name him Isaac, and it's going to happen soon. And then within the next year, Abraham and his wife have a son. Once again, there's a couple stories here I'm skipping over. I just want to see you, you to see these moments where God shows up to Abraham about this calling and this place he pushed on his life. And at this point in the story, when he has this son named Isaac, Abraham is 100 years old. So I'll do some quick math on this journey that he's been on with God to move to this land and to have this child. 25 years. It's been 25 years. But the story doesn't end here. Because Isaac's born when Abraham's about 100 years old. And then we get to verse 1 of chapter 22, and this is when God says something to Abraham. And it says in verse 1, after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. 
if you've been in church for a while or you used to go to church or whatever, you, you, you know this story. Abraham takes his son and he journeys with him for a few days and he gets to the top of the mountain and he's ready to sacrifice and God says, whoa, stop. I know that you're going to do that. I know that you're faithful. And, and, and it ends up being this beautiful story that paints the picture of redemption of Jesus coming and sacrificing, being God's son who he sacrificed for us. But that happens 12 to 15 years after Isaac is born. And so this whole entire passage that we just flew through, and I know I give you a crazy bird's eye view, might not be able to keep up all the way, but here are the highlights. Over 40 years, when we look through Scripture and you kind of count the incidences where God shows up and the word of the Lord comes to Abraham, over 40 years it happens about seven times. There are these huge gaps in the middle. There are these huge times where Abraham had heard something from the word of God, had been given direction, and then didn't have that miraculous encounter. Didn't have that direct word. And those are the moments where Abraham is so faithful. Because he continues on this journey so that when God shows up again, he's not looking at the phone and going like, ah, I'll talk to that later, right? He's staying engaged. Some of the details that I missed that I left out is when Abraham built an altar to the God and worshipped him or where God showed up in this way with his, these three guys because he was heading, passing through and he wanted to have this relational conversation and Abraham's begging him to stay. Once again, I encourage you, go read this story if you don't know what I'm talking about. But over and over again, you see Abraham pursuing his relationship with God so that when he has these big moments and then what we would describe as these long silences, that he remembers who God is and what he's done and he's chasing after him. So now let's flip over back to Galatians 5. Because we get to Galatians 5, and I'm going to read through it and just going to let you know I'm reading from Scripture. There are a couple of hot words in here, but we're going to read over them anyway. Galatians 5, 16 says this, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of rage, rivalries, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So let's break that passage down very simply. First of all is this. At the beginning of verse 16, it starts like this. But I say, walk by the Spirit. That is an actionable command. As we're talking about the fruit of the Spirit, and Michael has, and as he said the last few weeks, the fruit of the Spirit is not one of those things you become a believer and it magically falls out upon you and then you just become joyful and loving and all that stuff. It's something that you have to actionably pursue. There's an action step there. 
On the other hand, when Paul drops this list that are fruit of the Spirit, he also drops works of the flesh, and you get that big, nasty list that if we're just going to summarize, it kind of looks like this. It's seeking self right now, and you're either looking for your next high and your desensitizing thing and the thing that feels good right now, or you're being angry and defensive and judgy and all these negative things that fall out. And when we talk about this one particular word of faithfulness, and we go back to the very beginning where we talked about it being relational, it comes down to this. If you're going to be faithful, you've got to be faithful in your relationship with God. And when you pursue that, what naturally happens is the fruit of the Spirit grow within you. But when you don't pursue God, when you flip the page the other way and you just kind of ignore and you push back, you know what your life is full of? In some way, shape, or form, it's full of an addiction, a desensitization. It's full of striving after an immediate feeling that leads to disaster. It's full of anger, fits of rage, dissension, frustration. I can remember as Michael was sharing, and this was like a few months ago, he was talking about looking at the fruits of the Spirit, and he was really praying through God, is this what we want to go through next? One of the things that provoked that is the fact of the amount of anger and frustration and dissension that was beginning to spill out in believers around us. Do you want to know why? Because the pursuit was not after God in the relationship with him. The pursuit was after the things of the world. And so that's what the minds were being filled with and people around us is was how do I survive? How do I get what I need? How do I push my point? How do I make myself comfortable? And then all of a sudden, instead of having a loving conversation of how do we work things out, you got somebody who's angry. Right? You've been in a conversation lately with somebody who used to be kind of chill and loving, but all of a sudden you trip over a topic and they're like, And you're like, whoa, where did Captain Rage come from? It came from the flesh because you're sitting there and you feel it in your mind and all of a sudden it's more about you being right and you having things and it's us versus them and that is not of the Spirit. Because the Spirit is so much better. Just look at that list. Look at those two lists and tell me what do you want your life to be full of? And so it becomes an active for us. Just like me and my friend from college, there was the option there. I could have picked up that phone any day. He lives like an hour down the road, and I could have said, hey, man, let's hang out sometime. Let's go do something. I could just call, talk to him, text him, whatever. I did none of that. You want to know why? I just let the relationship die, and so did he. But here's the thing when we take that analogy where it completely fails is that's between two humans, When we talk about our relationship with God, understand that God is so faithful. He hadn't moved. He literally did everything that needed to be done on his end. There's not even any sin between you and him of anything you've ever done wrong. He took care of it by sending his son to die on the cross for your your sins. And if you believe that and you've told him that, it is done. You you can walk into him right now and and he's there waiting on the relationship because he is faithfully done everything and ready for you to re-engage. So you're going to stop walking away. Are you going to sit here and you're going to look at this list and maybe you're 
you're in that spiritual struggle aspect as a believer, and then and and you're starting to see the works of the flesh surface versus the fruit of the spirit, and you need to evaluate. And you need to go, okay, I got to make sure I'm investing in my relationship with God versus the world. And so you got to look at what you're putting in your head. You got to look at what's, what you're spending your time doing. You got to look at what comes after when you scroll up, scroll up, scroll up, scroll up until your brain dead in the, in the middle of the night and can't sleep, right? Are you going to pursue your relationship with God? Because when we talk about faithfulness, faithfulness is relational. So right now, if God's done all the work that he needs to do, some of you are sitting there, and man, you can remember that moment 5, 10, 15 years ago where you had no doubt God was giving you direction. And it's been a head game ever since because God did like what he did with Abraham. He said, go. He didn't give you all the details. He just said, you need to head this direction. And you went, whoa, that was an amazing moment with God. And then you walked into that door in the Sunday morning service and you've just been thinking back to it going like, oh, yeah, I need to do that. But you haven't pursued it. God wants you back at that relationship. And he's waiting on you to move. He doesn't want a distant relationship. He doesn't want a, I used to be close, or I used to be really involved at church, or at one point in my life, I felt like God called me to. He wants right now you with him journeying on this path. Because if you invest in that relationship with God, if you pursue that relationship with God, then when things get crazy, you don't fall away. You hang on. You dig in. You make it through, and God brings you to a whole new place that you can't even imagine. This week, if you read the story of Abraham, look at the chaos that surrounds this guy. Look at the absolute lunacy and all the relational stuff and the worldly things and the battles that he had to fight. But between those big moments where God reached down and said something to him, he is still faithful because he keeps pursuing God. So that's it for you this morning. I don't know how the Holy Spirit's moving on you this morning. Maybe it was something I said like 20 minutes ago that hung out in your head. Maybe as I'm reading through that like nasty list of words based on the flesh. There's one of those hot words that hits you and you're doing everything you can not to flinch because that's what you're wrestling with and you need to go confess that to somebody this morning and have faith that it's going to move in a positive direction even though the enemy is going to tell you you're going to be embarrassed and and it's going to move in a negative direction. Maybe that faithful step God's been working on you need to take is you need to engage with another believer and deal with this issue. Are you going to continue to faithfully pursue God because faithfulness is a relational word? Do you want to reap the fruits of the Spirit and that be what spills out of your life? Or do you want to deal with the things on that other list? They're destructive and painful. It's up to you this morning. And I don't know how the Holy Spirit's working. But J-Man and, uh, sorry, Jonathan, I knew I was going to say the wrong name. That's his nickname, this guy over here. Jonathan's going to come up here, and he's going to help lead with Molly a song as we close. And it's a really simple song. It's a really old song. And it really speaks to the trust level of knowing that you can come right now wherever you're at before the throne of God, and he is faithful. He is here waiting on you to rekindle that relationship. 
I'll be down front if you need to talk, you need to pray, and then after the service, I'll be hanging around here or right outside those doors. If you're like, if it hits you late and you want to have a conversation, I'd love to have a conversation with you, connect you to somebody, whatever we need to do. But we're going to pray and continue worship this morning, so let's pray.